Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Thursday. Welcome to the Steve Dace Show. Decided to bust out the old Christmas sweater. After all, we've got measurable snow on the ground here. Kind of looks like a wintry Christmas card on the drive-in, so feeling a little festive who knows maybe i'll fire up some christmas music on the ride home and you know what this first snow may cancel or this last snow i should say may cancel uh my daughter's first soccer game so that's got to make you even more happy uh, indeed you know what if i knew that <laughs> of course you're not going to play in the snow it, it's a soft sport so um if, if if that's the case then may it just snow all the way <laughs> into may as far as i'm concerned and america will be better for it right your daughter's too talented to lower herself to lower herself to that sport. See, you teed this up. Oh, this, yeah. is, this is that was that rant was all your fault. I give. Okay. I give. All right. My name is Steve Dace. His name is Todders, and his name is Aaron McIntyre. You have a name too. Maybe someday we will learn it if you email us, Steve at stevedace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. You can also like us on Facebook, MeWe, Parlor, and Gab. You can follow me at Steve Dace Show on Twitter and Getter. Uh, and the last name is D-E-A-C-E. Oh, and you can get clips of the show that are free to watch and also free of censorship at uh, rumble.com slash Steve Day Show. This is totally my bad. I forgot to mention this yesterday. But on, was it, because um, today's Thursday. So it was Tuesday, Aaron, that uh, I appeared with uh, our colleague Jason Whitlock, yeah, correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he had me on his show to discuss the Will Smith matter and... um. He certainly brought a perspective to it that that I had not previously considered because no one had previously uh, shared that perspective with me. I don't think that it altered what I think from my own perspective at all, but it certainly provided a different vantage point than I had seen before, that there might be another debate happening here besides the one that I largely uh, witnessed, which was there's just never a time for a man to ever behave that way. There's just, there's nothing that could ever be said to disrespect your wife or anybody under your charge that you love, that you would ever need to actually step to somebody else, which I just whole cloth, wholeheartedly with every molecule of my body reject. Okay. But there may be another angle here too worthy of considering that I thought Jason did an excellent and eloquent job articulating. So if you want to, uh, if you haven't watched that episode of Fearless yet, I believe it was Tuesday night's episode and uh, the two of us went back and forth on that. I, I know that you were here watching as we were recording that live. That what, were, what were your thoughts? No, it was a great conversation um, because, well, this is one of the, <laughs> what's one of the great things about the blaze is uh, we can have open, honest, debate and disagreements and neither of you had your feelings hurt you're just two dudes kind of talking this out and Mm -hmm. he made some valid points which i know uh which i know 
I would say challenged you and, you know, made you think through it a little bit more, weren't necessarily swayed uh, all the way in the end. But uh, it's the kind of content and the kind of, uh, of dialogue that you get here. And it was uh, fascinating to listen to. So I want to thank Jason for having me back. We, I know you guys ask me all the time, why don't we have him on? His taping window is when we are live. Um, and so it just so happened that they were willing to hold over finishing taping their show a half an hour late, uh, in order to accommodate me. So, but, but we're live when he tapes, otherwise we'd love to have him on, on the regular. I mean, I'm a big fan. Um, when we were contemplating bringing him here, I was a huge advocate, uh, behind the scenes lobbying for it. Uh, we had him on our show uh, a couple times before he even came to work here. I've always been a fan, even in the sports arena. I've always found him to be a critical thinker. I like critical thinkers, even if I don't always agree. Uh, and it just so happens that uh, over the last few years, he and I are agreeing more these days. But I mean, I've been reading his stuff for years before him and I even knew each other. So want to thank uh, Jason Whitlock for having me on his show, Fearless, on Tuesday. And if you want to hear that exchange or watch it again, uh, that was Tuesday's show. So go and get it. All right. Coming up on today's program, uh, we will continue our now weekly escapade into self-harm known as this Theology Thursday series on the Scott Atlas book, man. And it's just, it's just bitter, okay? But we have to persevere here. We we have to get to the end because do, there are important we? lessons. <laughs> Even Todd now. now. See, I need you because... <clears throat> Dude, I was going to tap out like three weeks ago. If we're just all being brutally honest here, I know the sign over here says, over my shoulder says, truth be told. Like three weeks ago, I was fully prepared to come in here and say, guys, I think I've had enough. <laughs> and, and I rely on you. All right. I rely on you to keep us on the narrow road. All right. To make the vinegar flow. Okay. To keep it salty so the salt doesn't lose its flavor. I rely on you for that, Erzin. Okay? You cannot lose your edge, Todd, because I already lost mine, all right, where this book is concerned. I've lost it, all right? I mean, I'm literally cutting myself in the commercial break before we do another chapter of it. You cannot lose your serrated edge. You can't do it. I'll do my best, but I can't unsee page 175 yesterday. I'm surrounded by a group of parents at something I had to take my kids to. None of them know what I'm reading or what the... I, I wanted to yell out, are you people reading this? <laughs> One page, 175. Sir, this is a Wendy's. Yeah, yes, exactly. Yes, yes. <sighs> We're going to do another chapter um, next hour of the show. Uh, and then uh, three non-political questions after that. Uh, at the bottom of this hour... More and more, you folks have been sharing with me the work uh, being done over on the website, the National Pulse. So I have, I've checked it out over the last couple of weeks, and they certainly were ahead of the curve on what we are now uh, getting from corporate media on the Hunter Biden story. And one of their chief investigators over there, uh, it's Natalie Winters, correct? Correct. And she will be joining us here at the bottom of the hour. So we are looking forward to that conversation. But before we get to all of those zany hijinks, we begin, as we always do, with Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by a World Economic Forum update. Klaus Schwab's group started its World Government Summit off with a bang yesterday. And the title of this session, Are We Ready for a New 
world order. Schwab himself had a message of deep cheer and great joy. We do not yet know the full extent and the systemic and structural changes which will happen. However, we do know that global energy systems, food systems and supply chains will be deeply affected. Back at home, here's a very Catholic update with Joe Biden. To everyone celebrating Transgender Day of Visibility, I want you to know that your president sees you. Jill, Kamala, Doug, our entire administration sees you for who you are, made in the image of God and deserving of dignity, respect and support. He also got his fourth dose of the Pfizer COVID jab. I'm not sure what I'm doing on stage. Yes, he got his fourth dose of the jab on the one-year anniversary of this gem. Here's CDC Director Rochelle Walensky. Our data from the CDC today suggests, um, you know, that, that vaccinated people do not carry the virus, don't get sick, um, and, and that it's not just in the clinical trials, but it's also in real-world data. A study, and I use that word loosely, on ivermectin was released in the New England Journal of Medicine yesterday. The study, purportedly based in Brazil, randomized and double-blinded, had one big problem right off the bat. Ivermectin was administered seven days into participants having symptoms of COVID. As Daniel Horowitz points out, the study did not outline the recruitment periods or locations for participants, which is standard in studies like this. Furthermore, there's a discrepancy between the total of the subgroups and the total stated participants. Also, one of the companies involved with the study, Sertara, has financial ties to Pfizer and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, among others. So there's that. Anywho, here's Kamala Harris talking Jamaica. We also recognize, just as it has been in the United States for Jamaica, one of the issues that has been presented as an issue that is economic in the way of its impact has been the pandemic. So to that end, we are announcing today also that we will assist Jamaica in COVID recovery um, by assisting in terms of the recovery efforts in Jamaica that have been essential to, I believe, what is necessary. Here's former Disney CEO Bob Iger on the Florida anti-grooming bill. To me, it wasn't politics. It was what is right and what is wrong. And that just seemed wrong. It seemed potentially harmful to kids. In completely unrelated news, the Daily Wire made a big announcement yesterday afternoon. So what are we going to do about it? Well, we're going to do the same thing we always do. We're going to build alternatives. Americans have enormous economic might. They just don't have any alternatives. The Daily Wire is building those alternatives. And today I'm proud to tell you that we will be launching Daily Wire Kids. Yes, CEO Jeremy Boring says the company plans to invest around $100 million over the next three years into a line of live action and animated children's entertainment on its streaming platform. Arizona Governor Doug Ducey yesterday signed a bill banning baby killing after 15 weeks. He also signed a bill banning dudes from competing on women's sports teams, a bill banning so-called gender reassignment surgeries for minors, and a bill requiring proof of citizenship to vote. And MSNBC tweets, President Biden approval rating has fallen to lowest level of his presidency despite booming economy according to new nbc news poll and finally blaming everything on putin here's the babylon Bee. honey did you go grocery shopping like you said you would uh that's uh that's putin's fault babe groceries cost too much since uh putin's price hike and you didn't fill up the car with gas either it's almost empty yeah that's that's uh that's putin too you know Cause he, uh, he made the thing with the, he made it expensive. 
So you just stayed home all day and did nothing instead? Look at this mess! What do you have to say for yourself? That's Putin too. What do you mean? And, and why is the sink full of dishes? Putin. What are you talking about? How is any of this Putin's fault? Uh, you know, Putin, the president of Russia, which is a big country, and then he invaded Ukraine, which is a small country. And that's what happened while we were away. <laughs> By the way, did you all see the move Putin made this morning? About the ruble payments? Uh, Mr. Putin has decided when you got some folks by the short hairs, yep. you go ahead and squeeze those. Okay. So as of, is it tomorrow, I believe? April 1? April 1st, yeah. Yeah, so as of tomorrow, if you do not pay them in rubles, therefore, uh, first of all, the valuation of the ruble has skyrocketed anyway recently. Uh, it's amazing. Is I, we all these sanctions and everything else we've done to harm their it economy for like three days. Yes, and their the ruble has skyrocketed. Okay, on uh, on currency markets, uh, and now he's going to come back for more um, because that's what alpha males do. Even the villain, villainous or not, he's like, how do you like these apples? Um, starting tomorrow, if you don't further help the valuation of our currency by paying us in it. We won't give you any more any more oil. Well, we'll just turn the spigot off. We're not doing any more exchange rates, any more exchanges. You will actually conduct commerce with us in our currency, not yours or the dollar. I like them apples. Oh, but hey, man, I don't know. I'm the American media has me convinced that any day now the full Putin retreat from 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 Ukraine is on. He's been completely fooled by his military advisors, doesn't know what he's doing. They're just randomly cavorting throughout the Ukrainian countryside aimlessly. They've got mass desertions of soldiers, right? I mean, that's that's what we're seeing in our media, okay? All I know is the dude woke up this morning and said, I, uh, starting tomorrow. So th there's a lot of notice for you, by the way. 24-hour notice, all right? Starting tomorrow, you're going to pay us in our currency. Uh, that'll be the new default currency around here. And if you don't like that, then we'll just shut the spigot off. But thank you. Meanwhile, we're issuing passports with gender X on them. So there's that. Aaron's Montage brought to you by Patriot Mobile. Recent Reuters story said T-Mobile, where we used to get our mobile phone service from, is going to be firing everybody not fully jabbed on Saturday. Another reason why when the opportunity presents itself to do business with people who don't hate you, and there are not that many opportunities, frankly, uh, but there is one that pretty much all of us can take advantage of because we pretty much all have to have a mobile phone to uh, thrive in modern America. That's why you want to make the switch that we made. Uh, we made it from T-Mobile. We'd been there for 20 years, but U.S. Cellular, anywhere, uh, the AT&T, anywhere you want to make the switch from, make it to Patriot Mobile. They don't just hate you. They share your values as well. 100% U.S.-based customer service team, and we put them to the test, man, with our switch and different plans and upgrading of phones, and they did a phenomenal job. Pretty much every company uses the same towers these days, so coverages really aren't all that much different whether you make the switch or not. So why not give your money to somebody who doesn't hate you if you have the option? If you're a veteran or first responder, let them know. When you go to make the switch, they will offer you a special incentive as a way of saying thank you for your service. For everybody else, they've got deals going on right now, all the time, and right now you can get a free activation with my first name, Steve, as your offer code when you go to patriotmobile.com slash Steve. That's patriotmobile.com slash Steve or call them at 972-PATRIOT. Aaron did a phenomenal job in his montage hitting the highlights of this complete scam ivermectin study 
uh, published in the New England Journal of Medicine. Uh, and was also given, and you can tell it's a media operation, long before they even had this study finalized, the headlines were already running a few weeks ago in the Wall Street Journal because we had people tweeting about them, right? Even people that work here were, were, were tweeting about these headlines. So this is, a, this is a media operation, right? So you've got your headline. Most of us only read the Chiron or the headline, right? Well, that's why Twitter is such an effective tool for communicating news narratives these days, because that's all we all have the attention spans of gnats, right? Okay. And so they already had their preemptive headline ready to go. And now they come out with the study, but it doesn't really matter what the study says or how it was done, because the amount of people that will read beyond the headline is un paquito, and they know it. That's the manipulation that goes on here. So right away, the study is flawed in pointing out that it was seven days, seven days into symptom into showing symptoms, seven days. What has ivermectin been described as this entire time? Last gasp. Yes. Yes. As an effective early treatment. Now, I know people that were I know of people that were in ICUs. And on ventilators, and they were given the ivermectin protocol, particularly with the original strain. Uh, before the Delta ADE strain, where they made it worse with their uh, poisonous jab. Before that strain, I know of people that it was that it were saved last gasp. I, that was actually more common. But all along, it was actually branded by those as its advocates as what? Early treatment. An effective early treatment. We're already seven days into a protocol. Seven days into showing symptoms. And keep in mind here, the symptoms that we're showing are respiratory. Is that serious? Yes. Pulmonary. Is that serious? Yeah. And if they weren't getting ivermectin or anything until the seventh day, were they getting anything at all the previous seven days? Probably. Probably not, because what was the protocol for a year and a half or for a year? Uh, go home, isolate seven to 10 days. Uh, and then if you can't breathe, come back in and we'll maybe put you on a ventilator. That was literally our protocol. So Aaron did a great job highlighting that, as well as the conflicts of interest within that study. There's a few more things I want to highlight that I saw on Twitter this morning. I want to alert you to. OK, so. Why did they wait seven months after its completion to publish this study? Hey, guys. It's all good. Take your time. We just have a pandemic going on here. You know what I'm saying? No, no rush here, man. Now, of course, when they've got a brand new jab technology that they have never injected into human beings before, we have to move heaven and earth to, to inject that poisonous gene manipulation into your body, right? We had to, we got to move heaven and earth. We got to move the entire bureaucratic state has to be set aside to do this as soon as possible and as often as possible, right? Yes. With a technology that's never been used before, but with a drug that won the damn Nobel Prize in 2015, hey, we'll get to it when we get to it. Nothing to see here. Move along. We got nothing but time. It's only the worst pandemic in 100 years. We had nothing but time here. Next, the investigators did not check at all if the patients in the study had taken ivermectin recently. 
In the paper, we see no mention of ivermectin in the exclusion criteria. Um, is that important? The study, it's a study of what? What's it a study about? Ivermectin? Don't you think it might be a tad important to see if all the patients in the study had taken it? You're asking too much, Steve. However, the paper refers um, us to the previously published trial protocol for more inclusion-exclusion criteria. This is the one that made the headlines in the Wall Street Journal and other places a few weeks mm-hmm. ago, right? All right. This is the, 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 the pre-published version of this. Um, and so when you go to the pre-published version of it, is it there? No, it is not there. Maybe, maybe that's because in the area that they were looking at, ivermectin was not something used commonly in that area at the time. That sounds like a reasonable explanation. But again, we're studying ivermectin. Um, Here's the problem with that. Number one, ivermectin is available over the counter in Brazil. Number two, the the Brazilian government for a time was recommending it as a COVID treatment and was issuing it as part of its early treatment kits back in 2020. And number three, as a result, sales of ivermectin in the area where the trial was taking place was nine times higher than normal. So now what's the, what, what benign, reasonable explanations do we have now, do you think? We didn't have any before, right? But but now, which one? Now, if we didn't have any before, how many do we have now? Even less. How in the world this trial was even published? Well, you know why it was published. There's a massive study out yesterday over at the Lancet that looked at over 700,000 school children in the UK, ages 16 and under. All pre-jab. All pre-jab. So the data goes from January of 2020 to January of 2021. All pre-jab and certainly all jab rollout for children. It found reinfection rates for COVID were 0.5% amongst that age group. Zero deaths, zero ICU admissions. That's all natural immunity. The same entities and enterprises that spent 2020 lying about natural immunity are now the same ones that have been lying for the last going on a year and a half about ivermectin efficacy. Not a coincidence. There's no money to be made in natural immunity. There's no power to coerce or to contain or control in an over-the-counter drug that's cheaply made and readily available. This is completely a crock. But they know this. They just wanted the headline. I want to take you to a tweet from our friend ethical skeptic. First of all, we are we learn something. He actually can speak with clarity. 
I had been doubting after two years of following his posts, if he was just a human cipher, right? if he was just operating at a totally different intellectual level than me, which is certainly possible. And therefore I could not understand on most days, or if he was just speaking in riddles because he was trying to avoid censors. Well, this one has a lot of point blank clarity. So I think we now have our answer. It was uh, trying to avoid censorship. He took a look at this study and here was his response. Of randomized testing control cohorts careening to the ground at 150 miles an hour and averaging 800 feet off the ground. In other words, a little late to deploy a parachute, right? We found that one and a half seconds of parachute was not effective. Parachutes, therefore, are ineffective at saving lives of the people falling from the sky. That is an absolutely pinpoint perfect analogy and metaphor for what this is. A scam. I've had enough. I've long ago had enough of this. Too many people have needlessly died. So then, let us all be grown men here. These are big stakes, right? Literally, life or death. I've taken ivermectin. I know all kinds of people who have taken it. I know, I can't tell you how many stories I've received in this audience from people that it may have saved their lives or the lives of someone they've loved. I've interviewed how many doctors on this show who have prescribed it and given it as a treatment that they have seen it work effectively too. And there is over 60 studies all over the world that show some level of efficacy against severe infection and lethality for COVID with ivermectin within the proper time and protocol. So I've done this once before in my career. And it was the big lie about Mitt Romney's presidential candidacy at the time. I'd just gotten to the point over a, of a year of listening to this when I had all the receipts. And I finally just said, hey, any of y'all can come on here and prove me wrong. I'll quit. I'll resign. I'm out of here. Let me reissue that challenge today. Anybody. If it's somebody within our own ecosystem. First of all, you should be going to our... Um, our boobahs here, Tyler and Gaston, we shouldn't be cavalier about a matter of life and death here on our platform, should we? I, no. We would certainly not support that. I can promise you, if I saw someone within our ecosystem spreading news about COVID that was life or death um, uh, incorrect, I would absolutely be going to Tyler and Gaston about it. If you're outside of our ecosystem, the New England Journal of Medicine, Wall Street Journal, I have two hours of airtime to fill every day. It's all yours. I will give you the platform. I'm one of the largest platforms in America to make your case that ivermectin has never been an effective treatment for COVID-19. You bring your data and experts, I'll bring mine. I've even seen good people that I like on Twitter, people that have been guests on this show saying things like, well, this is why I don't talk about ivermectin. The studies are inconclusive. Have you ever contacted Peter McCullough, Pierre Corey, Molly James? You ever contacted any of these doctors that have actually prescribed it and treated? You ever talked to them? 
let me see what what matters more the actual results with patients or a quote-unquote study published in a publication that lied about natural immunity and masks for over a year is lying to you about the jab now and oh by the way the people some of the people that did the study are paid off by a corporation that has a trillions of dollars of interest in ivermectin not being recognized as a cheap and early effective protocol for COVID-19 you decide but I've had enough of this. My only regret is I probably should have done this like last year, like six months ago. But the floor is yours, please. Whatever stenographer for the spirit of the age over at the Wall Street Journal that wrote the scandalous headlines here on behalf of literally the devil, please take me up on this. Call the bluff, please call it, please. Please, I'm begging you, call the bluff. I'm your Huckleberry. Try me on for size. Gentlemen, your thoughts. Well, the very fact that this study is published is actually living proof of the opposite of what it claims. It's being published right now because ivermectin does work. The fog of war before, why now? Why so? Well, back then, they had the fear in spades. They had everybody. But now we're about, we're about to take masks off of airplanes. Uh, we're, we are returning uh, to normal. And what they can't have happen is this thing boom around, boomerang around on them like the Hunter Biden story yep. is now boomeranging around. So that's excellent, why it's... Excellent point. That's why it's here right now. Because they're heading that off. But if you've been paying any attention at all, the fact that it is being published, and we talk about this all the time in terms of liberal claims, what they usually claim the opposite is true. And it is certainly the case here. Yeah, for um, for being confidently called horse dewormer for the last year, year and a half, they seem to be going to great lengths to prove that it's just horse dewormer. Why? If it really is just horse to warmer, shouldn't that be enough? We'll come back. Natalie Winters from the National Pulse will join us next. It's becoming increasingly obvious that one of the key ways to change the direction of the country is changing the way the marketplace works. Right now, we've got woke corporations seeking to divide us, big banks freezing the accounts of people who disagree with their views, and a supply chain dependent upon countries actively working against our values. Is that a problem? Is that bad? What answer do you expect from me from that question on any topic at this point? The answer to is that bad is pretty much a default yes, yes nowadays. Yes. Uh, it's time for a change. You know, that change can start with us and our wallets. That's why we want to partner with Public SQ, you know, for Public Square. It's the largest directory of freedom-loving businesses that uh, we've ever seen. It's the first app 
to connect freedom-loving Americans with their local community and the businesses that share those values. So if you want to support a restaurant that does that does farm-to-table with local farms, a coffee shop that took a stand against COVID and mask mandates, or a bank that would never cancel you for your views, Public SQ is your guide. Just download the app from the Apple Store and the Google Play Store, create a free account, and you can begin your search. You can also list your business for free so that your local community can find you today. Download the app now. It sounds like a phenomenal idea. Public SQ, SQ for Public Square. Public SQ, download the app today. Well, I've been following her work here in recent days as now the corporate media has decided all of the sudden it wants to tell us some truth about Hunter Biden and his dealings uh, with certain foreign elements. In the overtime today, we're going to discuss why. Why now do they want to get into this? We'll do that later today at blazetv.com slash dace. But let's talk with someone who's been on the cutting edge of digging into this story for a lot longer than corporate media has been. Natalie Winters is here with us from the National Pulse. Natalie, welcome here to our program for the first time. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much for having me. First of all, since it is your first time, tell us a little about a little bit about you and the work that you do with the National Pulse. Sure. Well, my, I would say, kind of thesis of how the world works is that there is a ruling class of Americans epitomized by the likes of Joe Biden, Hunter Biden, Nancy Pelosi, and even on the other side of the aisle too, Mitt Romney, um, who run this country in a way that doesn't benefit really anyone except for themselves. Um, and what we try to do at the National Pulse is expose where exactly these conflicts of interests lie. You know, it's easy to use slogans like compromised by the Chinese Communist Party, fake news, you know, foreign influence operations. But we really like to get into that, kind of footnote some of those those slogans, those talking points, and really show you uh, where the conflicts of interest lie with America's ruling class, particularly with the Chinese Communist Party. Um, I am very interested in China. That's kind of my, my main beat. So, of course, Hunter Biden, when we got our hands on his hard drive, uh, it was like Christmas for me because there was so, so much to do with the Chinese Communist Party. And that story in and of itself kind of confirmed uh, our worldview. So the stuff that is coming out now in the corporate press, you were covering this almost two years ago. So what's what's in there? Who's Hunter Biden? We've heard he does crack. He's got um, a child that the Biden family doesn't recognize. Um, and I got to be honest, I've worked in politics for so long, Natalie, I'm 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 extremely skeptical of even the people I tend to agree with. OK, and then and then the people I don't agree with, I'm just not, there's not even a word beyond skepticism that goes to just how shady I happen to think this entire business is. <laughs> All right. So what's the real story? Who is this guy? Because someone's hard drive on on their laptop would probably reveal quite a bit about their character. Right. Sure. Well, you you know it's bad when the uh, the crack addiction, the uh, you know multiple children and affairs with your brother's dead, uh, or your dead brother's wife are kind of the sideshow to the sideshow. Mm. Um, because that's frankly what I found when we were going through um, the hard drive. I think the the major lead 
Uh, and really the interesting tell on that hard drive is the foreign business dealings that he was conducting, not just with the Chinese Communist Party, although I think that's probably the most interesting. And of course, given that China is the number one existential threat, not climate change, as the left likes to say, uh, faced by the United States, the fact that he is so bought and paid for um, by elites in Beijing really, really is the most consequential. And I would say a, a clear national security threat. But of course, Ukraine even Mexico, even, you know, smaller countries that don't maybe because they're not as, you know, attention grabbing and headlines, um, but th they're all on there. So what what we found, frankly, I, I think it's th there's a, a deeper metaphorical significance to the Hunter Biden hard drive than just, you know, the juicy emails and the juicy audio recordings and the pictures. And I think it really is a testament to how American elites, specifically kind of the offspring, I would say, you know, the, the Amer equivalent of the Chinese Communist Party's <laughs> princelings, we have our, you know, equivalent over here, epitomized by Hunter Biden. Um, but just how I think they just they don't love America. And I think when you don't love America, when your allegiance to America can so easily be taken away just with a, you know, offer of a wire transfer for one million dollars, which we saw on the hard drive from a bunch of these Chinese entities and Chinese companies. I think that really speaks to, to the bigger problem here, um, which is and you see in the policies that the Biden regime, as we like to call it at the National Pulse, is, is implementing their America last, certainly not America first. But when you really, really get into to the details and you you look at the documents, you see that Hunter Biden was giving wiring instructions and a host of contracts and just different documents that do corroborate that he was indeed paid millions of dollars um, by certain Chinese Communist Party companies. One of the primary entities, the one that the Washington Post covered yesterday, was CEFC China Energy. And this is a group that's part of what's known as China's United Front Work Department. Um, so this is a multi-billion dollar effort that's carried out by government officials in China, um, including that has some military ties. But it, it really, I would say, is probably the best modern day example of political warfare. It's the idea that the Chinese Communist Party uses business deals, contracts, uh, just, just certain points of leverage against individuals that they see as having influence in American society. So it's not just people like Hunter Biden. You also see mainstream media talking heads, academics, think tankers be targeted by these influence operations. But I think Hunter Biden was, was of particular interest to them. Um, and we uncovered, again, almost two years ago, um, an audio file on the hard drive that showed that Hunter Biden actually admitted that he was, quote, in business with the effing spy chief of China, a reference mm. to Patrick Ho, who was leading CEFC China Energy. Um, so it's it's as bad, I think, as the narrative goes, as the talking points points go in terms of how deep and, and connected he is to the Chinese Communist Party. Um, and of course, it took two years for the mainstream media to do it, although they certainly have ulterior motives in doing so now. Incredible. So let's let me ask you some point blank questions to kind of boil this down for our audience okay sure um is it does the laptop unquestionably demonstrate that hunter biden was attempting to uh profit off of his father's political um uh, notoriety uh and connections uh for his own personal benefit with foreign countries yes so beyond the fact that you know why would energy companies and even companies that have you know biological laboratories in Ukraine be wanting to work with Hunter Biden? They don't the frequently hire crack addicts, is, right? I know. Yeah. Beyond the fact that his last name is Biden, there is uh, you know incontrovertible evidence on the hard drive that suggests this. One of the stories we put up um, actually shows that 
emails from Yang Jianming, who was another chairman. He's now been indicted or he's missing and probably killed by the Chinese Communist Party. Um, seems to be a similar fate for a lot of uh, business partners of, of the Bidens and the Clintons. Um, but interestingly enough, when he was emailing with Hunter Biden, he would always ask for meetings with eight quote H and the family. Um, so not just Hunter, he would try to get meetings with other family members. I would say ostensibly Joe Biden, if you read the rest of the conversation, again, these emails are up at the National Pulse, you can see what he's likely alluding to. And even more interesting, this is, again, off the China aspect of it, but there was actually a Mexican businessman, um, I, forget, I forget his name, but again, the emails are up at the National Pulse. But you can see a rather, I would say, kind of heated email exchange between the two of them where this, this businessman is pressing Hunter, asking him to effectively do more for the consulting contracts that he wanted, whatever business deals he wanted to get. And you can see Hunter replying to him in, in, in an effort to kind of ease his, his anger. And he says, I got you every meeting you wanted at the White House. Um, so you can see that he was really leveraging his connections to the White House. There's also ha have been people who used to work at Hunter Biden's consulting firm, Rosemont Seneca Partners, actually end up getting hired by the White House. So there's some sort of revolving door aspect mm. there. But the big smoking gun is, of course, 10% for the big guy. And if you look at the National Pulse and other outlets have done great coverage on it, too. But you can see this kind of term big guy, this kind of shady third party person who seems to be benefiting from the deals. We've seen no indication that it's it's anyone otherwise. And frankly, we've also seen no really refutation from the Biden camp that it's not Joe Biden, which I think that is probably the biggest tell. You've already answered this, but let me just ask it point blank anyway. There, He's not, you know, um, celebrity son here. Uh, he, he's brought in to be, you know, the connection to the vice president and now president. He is actively coordinating these things. You see, you see the difference, the distinction I'm trying to draw that his hands are all over this. He's not just a passive trust fund kid who uh, a shady network of operatives uh, got him involved deeper than he thought. He's the mastermind here. Well, I, I think it, that that is a difficult question to answer okay. from the hard drive, right? I would have loved to have been a fly uh, in the room, on the wall in the rooms and see how these deals went down because there is some level, it seems to be of control. So one of his business partners, his name is Eric Schwerin. Um, since we've started reporting on him, he's deleted his Twitter account, deleted basically all of his social media profiles. Um, but I'm sure he's innocent, even though he's doing that. Um, but it's really interesting because there are a lot of emails between the two of them where it suggests that Eric Schwerin was kind, sort of in control of Hunter Biden's finances in the sense that Hunter Biden would ask him to wire more money from his account. Um, that he could use. So to some extent, there is, a, I would say, a level of oddity in terms of their relationship. Um, and again, you have to remember, all these people kind of met back in college, right? Mm -hmm. The original entity that they formed was, was Rosemont Capital. Of course, John Kerry's stepson is also involved in this. You also have Devin Archer, who's the Yale roommate. So I think that that there's, there's two stories. I, I think Hunter Biden was certainly complicit. And I think I think he knew what was going on. But on the other hand, I do think you had a lot of people who realized, oh my goodness, the then vice president's son is a crack addict whom we can exploit to have him do literally anything so long as we give him money and frankly crack. That's what the text messages and the emails suggest. Um, 
So I think that they exploited him too. Um, they realized the the opportunity that they they had. I would say an opportunity that's probably never before existed in the history of the American Republic, where the vice president's son um, was effectively just just kind of an empty vessel waiting to be exploited. But on the other hand, I do think it goes back to what I was saying in the beginning, which is that the American elite, you know, their allegiance to the United States is not very strong to begin with. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, you know, it's a lot easier to sell out, quote unquote, sell out to the Chinese Communist Party. Um, Not if you're just a Democrat, but if you're a member of this elite who's only ever seen benefit and, you know, increased profits and and your bank accounts balloon when policies like outsourcing and, and offshoring American manufacturing are kind of the MO of your party. Natalie, I've got about 90 seconds here. Uh, I don't want you to spoil any of your work, but just as someone who's been on this beat for now going on two years ahead of everybody else, where does this story go next? Well, I think the Ukrainian biolabs shows you that there is almost always some level of Hunter Biden relevance. So you you think there, you have evidence there's a direct linkage between Hunter Biden and those Ukrainian biolabs? Certainly. Um okay. And honestly, we don't even need the hard drive to prove it. You can prove that from publicly available documents. I'm sorry, the Ukrainian biolabs that don't exist. I'm sorry. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. The Ukrainian biolabs that the fact checkers tell you certainly don't exist, which is almost a telltale sign that they do. Um, But but no. And I think that the point is, even though this is so obvious, it's so wide out in the open. Really ask yourself why they are not just doubling down, but tripling down on covering up that bio lab story and don't let the mainstream media do a misdirection play of having you think this is all about Hunter Biden and the business deals that he pursued because Joe Biden was intimately involved too. Natalie, very impressive work. Um, I mean, you're, in, you're, you're impressive. Uh, we will have you back. All right. Appreciate it. <laughs> Thank, Thank you, you very so much. much for having me. You bet. Uh, gentlemen, if you are struggling with uh, premature, isn't hair loss always premature? Like there's never a time you're like, you know, I think now's a good time for me to lose my hair. It's always premature. I All was right? wondering where that sentence was. <laughs> <laughs> premature evacuation of your hair. Uh, or um, you want to do something about that male pattern baldness, but you want to do it on the down low. Our friends at Keeps can help you with that. Uh, they give you all the same great products that are out there, FDA approved, but the generic versions in order for you to get some savings there. But then also there's discretion. Everything is done online with a licensed physician, and then it's delivered directly to your door. And then they give you even more savings to get you started. Half off your first order uh, to get you going here at keeps.com slash grow. Their name is Keeps because they play for keeps when it comes to saving your hair. K-E-E-P-S is how you spell it. Keeps.com slash grow. Again, head over uh, to keeps.com slash grow. Thoughts on the conversation we just had with Natalie Winters. Aaron, it looks like you're ready to go. Yeah, I, I think <clears throat> I think it's all but a guarantee. And I'm not really breaking any new ground on this. It's all but a guarantee that with other friends, close friends, family members of basically virtually any other president or high-ranking official, this stuff goes on all the time. It just so happens Hunter Biden is a crack addict who lost two laptops, and that's why it's made so plain Mm -hmm. and out there for Mm -hmm. us. This type of wheeling and dealing, and I I loved how Natalie set the stage about the ruling class. This type of wheeling and dealing is everywhere, 
and it has been going on for a long time. So, you know, it's not that surprising, but if it takes this to finally illustrate to people just how corrupt and just how immoral your ruling class is, the people who believe they have the right to rule over you, then I'm, 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 I'm glad and I'm, I'm fine with that. I just want somebody to be held accountable. I love how unapologetic it is. And, and she laced it through at multiple points. One of the bottom lines about it's really important to understand how un-American these people are. Great point. They, they, yeah. They're all prodigal ch- children. They, they, they just want what they want. They're born with a silver spoon in their mouth, whether they actually have riches or not, just a sense of entitlement that because they were born here, they get to poach this place for all it's worth and apologize for nothing, defend nothing, uh, stand for any, it's, uh, anything of value. It's pathetic. Well said. That'll do it for hour one. We'll come back here with hour two in a moment, live and on demand on Blaze TV as we continue our series on self-harm. Next. We're back with Hour 2, live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. Steve Dace here with Totters and Aaron McIntyre. All of you, let us know what you think about what we think. You can do so by emailing the show, steve at stevedace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Also, par- MeWe, Parlor and Gab. You can follow me on Twitter, at Steve Day Show, and also... Uh, over on Getter at Steve Day Show as well. And then you can get yourself some clips of the show free of censorship, free to watch when you go to rumble.com slash Steve Day Show. Again, that's rumble.com slash Steve Day Show. Also want to thank all of you that are podcast listeners with your uh, continued uh, support here on the show. You're a big part of our show's ongoing growth. Please leave us, if you haven't done so already, a five-star review that you love the program. And then also uh, hit the subscribe, or I think on iTunes now it's the follow button. Uh, And uh, thank you to each and every one of you, the thousands of you that have done that for us as well. I'm told that helps our show to grow. I have absolutely no idea how that works. I do know, though, that it satiates our increasingly fragile male ego, so we appreciate it from that perspective, if nothing else. Uh, Theology Thursday brought to you by the upcoming uh, Inspire for Health or Inspire 22 uh, conference that uh, you can register for right now uh, at inspireforhealth.com. That's inspireforhealth.com. That's coming up this weekend. It's a free concert, concert, conference featuring the likes of Olympian Cindy McLaughlin, Uh, Dr. Ryan Cole, who you guys know uh, from being a frequent guest on our show, Uh, yours truly will take part in a panel conversation as well. What does it mean, particularly now in this era that we have learned, unfortunately, that we cannot just completely outsource our own health anymore to the healthcare system? What does it mean to take more responsibility for that uh, and to understand more of what preventative health really means? If you want to take part in this online event, the conference, it is free on Saturday. You can watch the replay on Sunday for free if that's more convenient for you. When you go to inspireforhealth.com, again, that's inspireforhealth.com. Well, we continue our Theology Thursday series. Reminder, this year we're doing a series of book studies to kind of study the spirit of the age uh, in its natural habitat, if you will, to kind of do a little recon on the enemy before we confront him. 
or it. And the first book we're looking at is A Plague Upon Our House, My Fight at the Trump White House to Stop COVID from Destroying America. I will tell you, this book is destroying my innards. It, this book is crushing me. It it had me looking, contemplating jumping out of the plane when I read it through the first time, going through it now a second time in the conversation phase. I mean, I'm, I am, I, I, at this point, I'm thinking of taking a COVID jab just to end it. Okay. Um, I mean, this is, um, it's a tough read and if it's tough on us, I wonder if the audience is just like, no mas, man, but we must continue. We must learn because one thing that Scott Atlas's experience in the Trump white house at the end is teaching us is exactly what not to do on any level whatsoever against the spirit of the age. So Todd, we should start with you and particularly your room 222 if you get the shining reference, page 175. Okay. There's a room 227 I can never remember. But what was it that had you indiscriminately screaming out yesterday? Are you reading this to a group of people who had no idea what you were reading? What happened? Let's start there. What happened on page 175? The chapter by the way, uh, I always forget to mention this, and you guys get on me about that, and you're right. Chapter 9, Debating the Science About Schools. So page 175, what made you spontaneously combust reading this yesterday? Well, as I read it, I'm having the internal dialogue with myself. And then I read the next lines, and Scott Atlas says the exact same thing that I was having the internal dialogue about. Burks is... They're dealing with a uh, hospitalization number that is not actually increasing. Uh, It's actually steady at this moment. But she insists more testing, more testing, more testing. We we can't possibly solve this problem without more testing. And in my head, I'm thinking, this is my my kid learns fractions. I think in like fourth grade is when it's like all you're doing is. You're not addressing a real problem. You just want to change the denominator on something so you have a different statistic. And I'm thinking yeah, this they're, in my they're head. Going for a narrative. And I read the yeah. next the next sentence, and Scott Atlas is saying the same thing. And he's looking around the room, and I'm hearing this. All she wants to do is change the denominator. You're not affecting or impacting anything on a health level, and you might just be terrible at math. The, the problem was not getting worse. She just wanted to test more. To cook the books. That's it. I don't know if she understood. Because, I don't think she did. See, that's the other press. And then you realize, it, is she just... Because the more chapters I read, I she, there is a... There clearly is a demented part of her. And I remember back in the day when she first got on the scene, talk about being wrong about people. I remember sitting here in this chair saying, like, you know, she might be a help. When she started out, oh my goodness, she, she, she's, she, she definitely is malevolent in that there's a narrative and we're sticking to it and I'm not having any of this from any of you people sort of thing, but she also seems painfully stupid. I, I, and I hate to, you know, I know she she's, does. I, I, how many bad female stereotypes of that would, would could that you could chauvinist, chauvinistically concoct about putting women in positions of leadership 
does Debbie Burks all of them uh, fulfill during the course of this book? And the answer is all of them. All of them. And in terms of our book, Fauci and Bargain. Can I can I add one more thing to that? How about when she comes at Scott Atlas with Worldometer? Oh, yeah. And this is the stuff laymen like me yeah, have to go to online. She is the chief scientist yeah. of the White House Coronavirus Task Force. And, and she's discussing, she's, she's utilizing the most banal of, pub, of, of, of data information sources out there to make her claims. This is what we have to do in the cheap seats. They had, she had no better data available to her within the white house than our world and data or worldometer. That's where we were going during all of this. What does that tell you? Well, listen, we have a, as you said earlier on the show about a different matter, we have a pretty low bar for what we expect from people on any front. Uh, But yeah, she is, she's managing to bottom out, our expectations and in terms of our book what the one thing we couldn't know we couldn't necessarily see uh is the int all of the interaction on the inside and and to know how easy she made it uh for anthony fauci to just go do his shows yeah, yes. and get anything he wanted by just kind of Oh, I, being the whisper in here. Yeah, just keep doing it. You're doing great and making her because she was the she's the one that's front and center far more than him in the book so far. She's the one that's going out state to state barnstorming for this thing. And again, if you're president of the United States and you say you want something different, but you continue to let her do this all the time. That's a you problem, Donald Trump. You could have said, uh, yeah, you're on timeout permanently. You never did that. But I, again, I, I, I don't, I, it, it seems sloppy and lazy. And I'm coming back full circle to the, about the dumb thing. She's a credentialed woman who's worked in, in this for a very, very long time. But I, I, chapter after chapter after chapter, she, she just seems like a very, very, dim bulb so and i wasn't kidding when i the said credentials this. actually lend credence to that nowadays I, I, I was i wasn't kidding when i said this last hour so i i've i've read her stuff before i've never heard her talk i've not met her i've not seen her interviewed this was my first in-person exposure with natalie winners the young woman from the national pulse we talked to at the end of the last hour right All right so just looking at it from the perspective of dads of daughters how freaking impressive was she? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, in, in the in her presentation, in her confidence. All right, um, and she understands that it's a visual medium, but at the same token, she bring she she packed a wallop of substance there. Right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, that was a pretty potent portrait of young femininity that she yeah, brought absolutely. professional young femininity. Yeah. That that young woman brought to our show last segment. Right. Um. She's about 40 years younger than Debbie Burks. How much more impressive in that 10, 12 minutes was Natalie Winters oh, yeah. compared to how the lead scientist of the White House Coronavirus Task Force comes across yeah. in this entire nearly 300-page book? But that lends to another frustrating thing. Scott Atlas continuing. He and I, I, he keeps resetting this, and it's very slapstick, and it's hilarious that he keeps doing it. He keeps like 
showing setting the scene where he she does something like this like you're talking about that's so unimpressive and so dangerous quite frankly if we keep believing what she's peddling and he's looking around the room and he keeps waiting no one takes her on how is she holding court during a pandemic in the highest office in the land they're having these meetings in the white house and there's no pushback they just nod, pat each other on the back. Mike Pence, again, again, just Ugh, nodding gosh. and saying, well, again, boy, I forgot that. Maybe because yeah. I just had to forget it. <laughs> Mike Pence, after page 175, where he is. So we'll increase the testing. Yeah, I guess, I guess yeah. we just increased the testing. And Scott Atlas did step in and said, you realize what's happening. He said it out loud in the meeting that you're just changing a fraction you're not helping a problem at all you're not making anybody healthier with this you just have a different chart and pence said yes like i we wrote a book with a level of skepticism in a very dangerous time that could have got that you know people even on our side didn't want to talk about it uh, we we risk dangers all the time of getting uh, canceled, and Scott Atlas's book is making clear that we weren't even skeptical enough. Yeah. You want to be more depressed? Sure. Let's pour it all out. I, I've I've had several people I know within the Trump White House who were telling me all this time that this was going on in real time, that Debbie Burks is MAGA. No, She's I know. one of no, us. No, you told me that. Yeah, yeah. I know. I just, I just thought now it needed to be said again. Several people within the Trump White House told me this at the time. Because you know, you guys know, man, I was doing, I was, by this time, I'm now trying to poke around, you know. I was very hesitant because it was still kind of sensitive. I I didn't want to support him during the 2016 election. I got several friends that ended up going to work for him in the White House, you know, and I don't want to make it any tougher on them. So it was kind of a don't ask, don't tell policy. So, you know, where friends are concerned. But by the time we got into the summer of that year, I'm now beginning to say, okay, we have got to get some answers here. I'm starting to ask some questions. I'm starting to poke around a little bit. And I got told that by multiple people I knew in that White House. Debbie Burke says MAGA. She's one of us. But are all these people the same ones that Scott has mentioned at the end of this chapter and many other chapters so far, where after he finally steps up and says something, they come up to him privately? I'm so glad you said something. That's what it's about time somebody said. Why aren't you saying something? You work in the White House. Yes. So I have a, you have a thought on this, Aaron? I do. Go yeah. ahead. All right. no, I, the floor is yours. I, you know, I, this is Theology Thursday. Why is why is the devil called the, the father of lies? The answer is really complicated because he is. Um, when you think about uh, environments, you know, Bill and I have this have this feeling we've got a little mold problem in the place we're renting right now. It's really frustrating. W- what environments does mold thrive in? Moist. Uh, moist environments where there's not a whole lot of air moving. You know, you might blow a puff of air in there every now and then. 
Uh, but that doesn't do anything. Once mold starts to grow and 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 accumulate, you have to you have to clean it out. You have to excise it. Otherwise, it'll just keep growing and growing and growing, no matter what you do. And sometimes that can be painful and damaging. You talk about environments where lies thrive. This is one of them. This is one of them. Because, because at the end of the day, they're working, as, as Dr. Atlas noted, they're working entirely off of circular logic at best. That's the type of environment where lies just, just grow and grow and grow like mold. And a singular, uh, 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 I would like to, I would like to uh, interject something here from somebody like Dr. Atlas, as great as that is, and it should be praised, doesn't really do anything if he's looking around the room and nobody has the cojones to have his back in that moment. Instead, it's a half an hour after the meeting. Wow, boy, I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry. Boy, that was really weird, man. I'm glad you said something. Here's the logic. Here's the logic that we've been sold over and over again over the last two years. There's a problem. There's a problem. Uh, data comes out that the problem isn't quite as bad as we think it is. Well, there's not conclusive data. Data comes out that's conclusive. The problem isn't as bad as, as we thought it was. Great, we're going to do more testing. Do more testing. Oh, there's more problems. I, eh, it's not quite as bad as it. That's the game. Mm-hmm. I really don't think, and, and to, to further Todd's point, I really don't think that she was she was doing this malevolently. I just think that she is dumb. I really do. Talking about Debbie Burks, after reading all of this, I, I really, I, I cannot imagine that she honestly thought she was helping a situation there. It, it, because we, when you're sitting in the bean counter seat in Washington, everything is just a number. Everything is just a ratio. It's human nature. Doesn't excuse it, but it is human nature. And so that environment where they're working off of this circular logic, and you can apply this to anything. You can apply it to masks. There's a problem. Uh, the problem isn't quite as bad as we thought it was. Oh, there's not conclusive data. Uh, here's some conclusive data. All right, we'll test some more. All right, we'll mask some more. All right, we'll vax some more. If the problem goes down, uh, great. It would have, you know, uh, the you know, uh, mask, vax, uh, testing worked. Goes up. Um, you know, think of how bad it would have been if we hadn't done those things. That's the that's the environment in there. And it was only going to it was only really going to be uh, stopped. If somebody like Donald Trump or, or Mike Pence would have just busted it all up because one guy, one uh, puff of air trying to excise and trying to to halt the the, the spread of that mold inside the White House Coronavirus Task Force every now and and again clearly was not enough. Speaking of Theology Thursday, in the context of everything you just said, remember the thing in the popular imagination that made Donald Trump the force of nature that people anointed on the right to do something, to drain the swamp. What was it? He... He would confront situations like this. Where did they learn about him? And what two words did he make famous? Guys, 
Anybody know what I'm You're thinking? You're fired. You're fired. <laughs> That's why. They wanted that Donald Trump. It wasn't people knew New York, Mogul, all that stuff. The popular consciousness right there. No BS. He's going to take care of it. And this flood of circular nonsense that keeps coming at him. He never said it. He never said it. So in terms of Theology Thursday, what we learned, uh, the, the really frustrating thing about Donald Trump on levels, despite that he's clearly better than Joe Biden, which is not much of a standard, but biblically speaking, let your yes mean yes and your no hmm. mean no. And <clears throat> if it can't exist anywhere in this environment when it would seem like we are at the 11 we need to make 11th hour decisions one way or the other steve i've always found it interesting uh that you said um uh in terms of especially raising a son if you make a decision even if it's the wrong decision Mm -hmm. and you can elaborate that on you want to but none of this wishy-washy crap donald trump was not the you're fired guy he was incredibly wishy-washy and his yes at the most crucial time, did not mean yes, and his no did not mean no. Those are both great points that you guys just made. Um, I'm going to do my best to try to bring it home here in a second. Right after, though, I think now's a really good time to remind everybody about the Z-Stack. While they're out there still lying about things like ivermectin and early treatments, um, make sure you take advantage of the daily formula from Dr. Vladimir Zelenko, all the vitamin C, D, quercetin, zinc, that we've been telling you about here for the last couple of years on this show, all he's combined it all into one compound uh, that is kosher, uh, American-made, and, and now it can be a part of your daily preventative health uh, regimen. Uh, be ready for the next uh, variant they're about to unleash, um, or will just organically happen in the natural world or something. Uh, and you can also get a small discount to when you go for the first uh your very first order. I'll give you the discount for your first order when you go to ZStackLife, ZStackLife.com slash Dace and use my last name, Dace, as your promo code to get that discount on your first order. If you need a refill, you can go there as well. ZStackLife.com slash Dace. So one of the things that I that we have to be wary of is there's there's a difference between being insulated and being isolated right and so the biblical distinction here is to be in the world so you're not isolated right right but you're not of it so you're not insulated mm-hmm. we 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 have to in, we're here to engage this world yeah Matthew we, 28 yeah it's why we're here we're we're here to engage it we're here to offensively engage it we are here to offend it. All right. We we have a message that is foolishness and offensive to the world. So we're we're here to offend it, but also offensively impact it for good. And we're here to offend it for good. So we 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 have to be in it, but we can't be of it. So there there's a biblical example of the distinction between being isolated and insulated. What I see here in this book is a White House culture that is largely isolated itself. It is not insulated in that um, I'm Winston Churchill 
I don't care what my advisors say. I don't care that you guys are preemptively cutting side deals with the Nazis behind my back. I'm the prime minister of this country. And as long as I am, I'm, it, I'm fulfilling the will of the, of, of the people of, the, of this United Kingdom till the end. If you don't want me to do that, then get rid of me. But that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to defend us against all enemies, foreign and domestic, with my last dying breath. That's Ron DeSantis saying uh, earlier this week, I don't care what the biggest corporation in the state of Florida, Disney, thinks. I don't care what corporate, woke corporatists anywhere from here to California think. I'm going to represent the interest of the people of Florida, period. That's my job. That's what I'm going to do. That, that's the insulation. But the problem can become, and I've seen this happens a lot with Republicans in elected office. How many times I've seen this at a state house where you are you become so surrounded by the spirit of the age that now you're isolated. And now it's about maintaining the culture, hey, we're all huddled we're a huddled mass, we're huddled together. Let's hold on to our let's stick together, you know, uh, maintain cohesion. And there's some there's some value in that, right? Okay? But then maintaining that cohesiveness amongst yourselves is placed at a higher level than what's real and what's the truth. So Winston Churchill can say all he wants. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm going to the end. We're taking this to the finish line. But he, he can't ignore battle plans. The same, the same prime minister who said that is the same prime minister who organized the greatest strategic retreat in Western military history, Dunkirk. See what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So he, he, he never lost sight of what the ultimate mission was, but he didn't so isolate himself that he just ignored the reality on the ground at the exact same time. Had he done that, World War II would have ended on that beach there at Dunkirk that day. The Nazis would have eradicated what was left of the Allied forces, and that would have been it. Before we even got into the war, that was the spring of 1940. So, I mean, he could have just said, hey, we're going to do this no matter what. I already gave this fiery speech. You know, we're not we're not backing down. And then just let what was left of the Allied army just get slaughtered out there up against the English Channel by the by the the Nazi marauders. He could have done that. Right. Mm-hmm. But that's see, that's the difference from being isolated to being insulated. Insulated is a courage of conviction. Not a denial of reality. Isolation is. Isolation is when you deny reality, and then it becomes more about maintaining the inner culture of those that you're isolated with. You see that in this book a lot. Don't rock the boat. How many times has Scott Atlas told that? Don't rock the boat. Mike Pence just just go along with whatever Debbie Burke says. We don't have to deal with her outbursts. And she's MAGA, unlike that Fauci guy who we have on our six TV screens stabbing us in the back all the time, right? Where's the truth at in these conversations? Usually it's Scott Atlas interjecting it, getting patronized, and then it's nowhere to be found afterwards. Pretty much, right? And it reverts back to the isolation. This is why I've said in the past, we as a movement cannot squash our contrarians. And and I say this somewhat sensitively because I'm one of your contrarians. (laughs) All right? But if you can't argue your own contrarians, see, what what a real leader would have done... In, in, in the, at some point in this book, a real leader, and that's up to the guy in the West, in the West Wing and the vice pre, the president in the West Wing, the, the vice president who's, who's overseeing this um, 
uh, task force and who is really the de facto chief of staff, Jared Kushner, the son-in-law, who's the second most powerful man in the White House next to the president himself. So I'm really speaking to those three. At some point, one of those three needed to step forward and say, hey, you know what? Enough. No more BS. We have no, we, we couldn't possibly go out there and argue against the people that disagree with us if we can't even answer the contrarian within us as questions and challenges. See what I'm saying? Yeah. So someone beat Scott Atlas in an argument. Otherwise, we're going to do what he says. No one ever does this. No one ever does this. This show and a few others were total contrarians to what you were hearing everywhere else, even in conservative media, for how many months? Credit to the management here at The Blaze. I would try to bring them along and, and, and show them my arguments from the very early days of this and why I was thinking this way. But they weren't red-pilled from the very beginning, folks. They just knew I was doing my homework, so they were willing to, let, hey, let's see where this goes. Now, if anything, our CEO, Tyler's more radicalized than I am on, on this topic. But you, we can't crush our contrarians. You can't do that. This, by the way, is why our book was not on many, many, many That's more exactly shows. right. They didn't want to have to admit that they had engaged in that. Nope. Because your wife's a doctor or because you know Scott Gottlieb or whatever you're, and you know, because there's no possible way Trump would shut down his glorious economy. So they must know what they're talking about and they must know what they're doing, right? These are all the things that we heard while this was all going on yes. for how many months, right? But- if you cannot answer your own contrarians within your own ecosystem, you have no chance to defeat the enemy. None. And no one ever stepped forward. The three men in the most powerful of leadership roles never stepped forward and just called the question. What did I do last hour on this ivermectin thing? I called the question. Bring it. And I'll quit if you win. No one ever did that. And one of the reasons why is because, frankly, all right, I'll say it. Frankly, there's a lot of people wearing our uniform that are just as afraid of being accountable to objective truth yep. as the people we're trying to defeat. And I'll just leave it there. Three non-political questions are next. All right, back here on the Steve Day Show, you know, as inflation surpasses highs not seen in a generation, the value of the dollar decreasing with every passing day, you're paying more at the pump, the grocery store, for cars, for housing. Again, we ask, is that bad? Yes, uh, very bad. Uh, face it, uh, paper money getting increasingly worthless. Now you got Putin basically stepping to the U.S. Uh, as the default currency by telling uh, his global partners uh, beginning tomorrow, if you want any more of our oil, you have to pay us in our native currency, not yours. Folks, the timing couldn't be better for our new sponsor, Bullion Max. Uh, they are a direct-to-consumer precious metals retailer who can help you diversify into gold and silver as a hedge against inflation. Also security for your family. 
during times of crisis. And here's why you're going to love Bullion Max. They're owned by veterans in the precious metal space that offer the set, that offer some of the lowest prices on the internet. For example, right now, if you want to get started at Bullion Max, their silver starter kit, they're offering it to you at employee pricing. You can't get it any cheaper than that. Employee pricing for their silver starter kit when you just go to bullionmax.com slash Steve. Bullionmax.com slash Steve. It's a kit with five of the most desirable silver products out there to invest in right now. Offer, though, is limited to just one per household when you go to bullionmax.com slash Steve. It's now time for three non-political questions. Have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? Question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on the Steve Day Show. Who am I and what have I done with Aaron? It's two straight weeks where it's not the day of, not the segment before, not the minute of. Two straight weeks where I've actually thought of questions well ahead of time. I had all three of my questions ready to go actually before the sun came up this morning. That's weird. Question number one, though. It's a bit political in the setup, but it is non-political. Okay. Listen very carefully. I'll, uh, I'll lay out the question here. I'll give my answer first so you and Todd have some more time to think. You made fake up numbers and letters again, didn't you? Z3. No. Uh, <laughs> Steve, you've often often said some version of the following. Not everybody who voted for Joe Biden is a communist, but all communists voted for Joe Biden. Correct? You've said some version of something, that. Yeah, close. Yeah. What's something non-political that that syllogism applies to? Uh, not everybody who did X is Y, but everybody who is Y did X. So for mine, does that make sense yeah, to you? Yeah, so I, yeah, but go ahead, give me an example. So there are, there are inexperienced drivers, there are uh, defensive drivers, there are um, um, aggressive drivers, I'm probably an aggressive driver, and then there are douchey drivers, Okay. You, you all know the type, the ones that just try to cut you off just because it's fun sport, not because there's actually any legitimate need, okay? Sometimes there is legit need to cut somebody off. Sometimes there is legit need. I, I get that. But some who are just douchey for douchey's sake. We've all seen drivers like that. This is a little bit sensitive for me, but um, not everyone who drives a German-made car is a douchey driver, but all douchey drivers drive German-made cars. <laughs> it's a little bit sensitive. My father-in-law drives a German-made car. It doesn't apply to him, but that's what I've noticed. Not everybody who drives a German-made car is a douchey driver, but all douchey drivers drive German-made cars. That's mine. Okay. I've got an easy one for you. Um, not everybody who loves soccer is a communist, but all communists love soccer. Something That's like that? That's a great one. Okay. Hey, are you proud of me, by the way? Last night, I made a pretty penny betting against the U.S. men's national team. I am. Plus In fact, four, Costa, that might be the most patriotic thing you've ever said on the show. Plus 425 Costa Rica money line at that, halftime. That, that might be the most patriotic thing you've ever seen. You've ever said on the show. Maybe anyone's ever said. God bless you. Thanks. And God bless America. Well, I, uh, I absolutely appreciate the spite 
in that soccer. <laughs> so uh, try this one on for size. Okay. Not all Colin Kaepernick's welcome Jim Harbaugh's. I knew this, was, I knew this was coming. Yeah. But all Jim Harbaugh's welcome Colin Kaepernick's. Yeah, I knew that. I knew I knew you were gonna go there. Right when I dropped it on soccer, I knew you were going there. I'm You're feeling welcome. you. You're yep. welcome, America. Yeah. Well done. Question number two, what's the most hated team in every major sports league? And I'm just defining that as NFL, MLB, NBA, college football, and college basketball. Well, college basketball, it's pardon me, Duke. it's Duke. Yeah. yeah. Or, or you know, who knows if that will continue into the, pardon me, John Shire era next year. Uh, but it's it's Duke for sure with college basketball. Agree with that? And just Agreed. As, this is current, like as of this day. Yes. <clears throat> there we go. I think I got it that time. College football. I, I think there's Alabama fatigue. I don't know if anybody. But really I don't hates get the. That. I don't. I don't feel like there is like national I, disdain for them. Like you would get with a lot of dynasties. Is that fair? Yeah. I, I just think people are just sick of seeing Alabama. But it's more of a man. I'm sick of that guy beating me all the time. I don't feel as if it's you know Duke level of of disdain. I don't. So in college football, you know I who's coming the up the rear loved, real fast. Who? Michigan. Well, I was about to say we are, and part and, and some of it is we do get overrated in the media a lot because of how big our fan base is, and so we get overrated in, in terms of how we're talked about. The other thing, though, is the that you know our head coach is just instant clickbait, no matter what the subject matter is. So, and and this last season was the first time in how many years that we actually overachieved for a change, mm-hmm. you know? So I, I think Michigan's probably pretty close to that. I think the most loved... Maybe Notre Dame? Notre Dame is the most loved and the most hated yeah. simultaneously. Okay. Uh, the NFL, it has to be the Dallas Cowboys, doesn't it? Currently? Yeah. Oh, I, I, don't think, I don't think I don't currently. think it is currently. No. I don't feel... I, I, let me think through who it would... I think the Chiefs. Well, I think no. I think because of Mahomes... I think the Patriots. Uh, Mahomes... I could see that. Mahomes likes to flaunt, and he has a really annoying brother. That's not current, though. It was with the it was with Brady, but now they're just. I don't talk to see a lot of people that just hate the Chiefs. I just don't. No, I don't. Oh, man. Okay, you haven't been a Chiefs fan. All right, I I I'll take your word for it then. I I would probably vote for the Cowboys just because of the amount of attention and everything they get. You're talking about a team that I think has what one playoff win since 1995. You know, um, and they're still America's team and all the exposure and everything else they get. But in, it's I would also say either t- the Chiefs or the Packers <clears throat> because of what Aaron Rodgers pulled with. Yeah, I think it's time. also difficult to have a singularly hated team in the NFL that's so predicated on, um, ten on years parody. Ago, yeah, 10 years ago, this would have been easy. But I'll, I'll go with, I'll, I'll vote Cowboys in the NFL. Who's the most hated player in the NFL <clears throat> right now? Maybe that would, because maybe that's Aaron like, Rodgers by about half the country. Yep. Well, then maybe it is the Packers. Major League think, Baseball, it's the Yankees for sure. Yeah, yes. it's the Yankees for sure in yes. baseball. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. NBA, the Lakers probably right now. Uh, yes. Yes, LeBron has become increasingly dislikable, yes. and they're not any good, yeah. you know? Um, so, yeah, I'll say the Lakers would, would be that team in the NBA. Good question. Before we get to the third one. Uh, bigger trouble could be coming, so make sure you're prepared with our friends at preparewithdace.com. That's my Patriot Supply. Uh, right now, you can get um, food that stays fresh for up to 25 years. 
With their three-month emergency food kit at My Patriot Supply, the nation's largest emergency preparedness company. They specialize in long-term food storage, uh, three square meals a day, snacks, even drinks. That's over 2,000 calories a day for you. And everyone in your household right now, you can get that deal and save $150 and get free shipping when you get it from preparewithdace.com. Again, that's preparewithdace.com. $150 off and free shipping at preparewithdace.com. All right, final question. Question number three. What's the saddest song you've ever heard? Uh, It's a two-part question. What's the happiest sounding song you've ever heard? Uh, Saddest song I ever heard. When Anna was little, that song Butterfly Kisses, I I just couldn't handle it. I had to stop. I don't think I've heard the song in like 17 or 18 years. I just couldn't handle it, man. Okay. So every time that song would come on, I'd be driving home from work or something and that song would come on and it would just friggin' break me. So that would be the saddest song. I think I would say that I've ever heard. Um, happiest song. There's, I mean, there's a lot of songs that, that do that, but I'll throw in something that's an obscure 80s one-hit wonder that still, when you hear it, you just can't help but feel like there's a little pep in your step, man. And that's Walking on Sunshine by Katrina and the Waves. Sure. I mean, it just it doesn't matter. That song is what now? 35, probably years old? And maybe even more? I think it came out maybe around 85, 86. Just doesn't matter what time of year it is or what mood or anything you're in. The minute you hear it, you know, it just kind of, I mean, you get, you get a, you got a bounce in your step. Now I could also, I could, I mean, I could get really nerdy on you. I mean, for me, the happiest song I've ever heard is John Williams, Superman score. There you okay? go. I mean, I, I mean, I, I, I think I've said this before when Noah was little and we used to play the, the Lego theme games together. When we do the open world version, you could, we could split the screen in half and we were each our own characters. I would just be Superman and then just fly around the whole time and not play the game because when you fly Superman around, the Superman thing kicks in. So I could just hear that over and over again. So those are a couple of things that come to mind for me. What's that Counting Crow song at the end of the first Shrek movie? Like definitely. Oh in yeah. Love. Uh, oh yeah. Accidentally in love. That was yeah. accidentally that was in love. Bella yeah. and I walked out. To My Tessa, daughter number two, when that was out, she was in you know little like toddler one to two year old is strapped in and she was kind of my quiet shy one when that thing came on her head would just like start beating back and forth just because she loved it was such a happy song so that is absolutely in my mind sad song uh didn't they just they did a great skit i think on snl about an adele song like four or five years ago that was just about like (laughs) breakup that was just so painfully sad uh but there's a lot of fantastic uh i mean hard to believe you know this song that can make you uh genuinely hurt you you find the beauty in it so um that's a good answer todd i i would so i'm just i'm cutting aside classical music for this one um i i would say the saddest song at least right now basically anything by radiohead but radiohead no surprises I mean, it's like, oh, okay, well, 
I'm just going to go walk off a cliff now after after listening to that. It's a very, very depressing song. It's pretty, but it's depressing. Probably the happiest sounding song that I've ever heard is uh, Happy by Pharrell Williams. It's a very repetitive mm-hmm. song that got played into the ground a few years ago when it came yeah. out. Uh, but it is it is a very happy sounding song. I got a much sadder song. It's depressing, but it's it, it's a showstopper, and it's what he closes all his concert. Piano Man. Oh yeah. Piano Man is not a happy song. It is about <laughs> lonely, lonely yeah. people. Yeah. Yeah. I saw. Are we done? Yes. I, I mean, something clarifying on on the previous question. But if you have no, something, no, to go add. ahead. No, you go ahead. Uh, Red Sox or Yankees more hated oh it's the it's the yankees that's yeah. what i thought yeah somebody yeah. said somebody said on twitter red Sox are more hated but i think um, it's pretty easy it's the yankees. Uh, i mean I, I you know there's been recent controversies with them and they've been the better team recently mm-hmm. you know so i i, I get it. if if you're a little younger than us then i can see you know like maybe why our our sons or your grandsons might have more of a disdain for the red Sox. but i i think you've got to be at least gen z to have more disdain for the Red Sox than the Yankees. I think every previous generation, it's, you know, hatred, jealousy, yes. and everything else of the Yankees for yes. sure. So so I went and saw, since you brought up uh, Billy Joel in his last song, I saw Elton John in concert here in Des Moines last weekend. It was a belated uh, Valentine's gift. I mean, the place was freaking packed. No empty seats. And this was not an inexpensive ticket. I'll just put it that way. But um, so, I, so I was concerned about two things. One, I thought that the show might end up being like extremely rainbow jihad and then just nauseate me, even though I'm a huge fan of the musical catalog. I mean, the first, the first song I ever as a child remember knowing all the words to was Elton John's Your Song. The first album as a child I can ever remember knowing all the words to every song on the album and even like the order of the songs on the album itself was Elton John's Greatest Hits, the volume one Mm -hmm. where he's wearing the white hat and the the trademark big glasses on the cover there. And uh, so I I, happily, it was not um, uh, it was not a show of rainbow jihad propaganda. About the closest we got is when they um did uh, when he did the bitches back the accompanying video because uh, I think Joan Collins probably wouldn't want to appear in the video herself. In fact, is she, I think she passed away if I remember right. But um, so they had like a drag queen version of her fighting with other drag queens. That was really the only uh, uh, colors of the rainbow that we got during the show. The other I was afraid of is I mean the day before the concert was a seventy fifth birthday, so. I was concerned. Where's his voice? I've I was so scarred. It's been about ten years now. I've not watched a Super Bowl halftime show ever since when uh, Daltrey and Townsend, Townsend came out as the Who duo to do the this halftime show. And Daltrey just I mean it was it was sad to watch, man. Okay, it's fascinating to watch some of those guys. Oh, I'll let you finish it. But yeah. It's fascinating to watch. You can tell which ones were professionally trained earlier and early in their careers and yeah. earlier in their childhoods, and which ones just kind of belted out. So, I mean, I'd I'd read that Elton like spent the COVID shutdowns making sure he was healthy and able to do this tour to give people their money worth. Dude brought it, man. At 70, 75 years old, can't hit some all the high notes, but everything else, it was robust. I mean, it was full. They he uh, he ain't moving around very well, you know. He was kind of waddling around the stage, but uh, he was very very gracious. Um, 
uh, a lot of the backup band were people that uh, he kind of reunited with that were on like his first world tours in the 80 in the early 70s that came together for like a 50th year reunion this is kind of his goodbye tour he did a great job it was a lot of fun opening number was Benny and the Jets the closing number of the main program was Saturday Night's All Right for Fighting, which they did a phenomenal job with. And then they came back with an encore, and the last song for the encore was Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. And then he literally floated off the stage away and said goodbye. He's as good as I've ever seen him. I've seen him twice by himself and twice with Billy Joel, just always pure rock and roll. All right, well, we're going to call some pure BS uh, in the overtime here. We're going to stick around and record that for you at blazetv.com slash dace. That's where you can watch it later today and subscribe right now if you want. Until tomorrow, we're back again, noon to 2 Eastern, right after Glenn Beck, John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.